This archived broadcast of Janet Meffer Today is brought to you by Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit healthcare sharing ministry that allows you to control and manage your own healthcare and choose any doctor or hospital in the nation. If you're a freedom-loving American looking for contract-free healthcare, call now, 855-585-4237, or go to libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT for more information, libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. This is Janet Mefford today. Our confidence is in Christ alone. Are we going to stand with God come what may? If the word of God says it, I believe it. And that's the way it is. And now, here is Janet Mefford. Thank you so much for joining us again. The Bible is full of people who are unlikely leaders. Moses, a stutterer. David, an adulterer and a murderer. Saul, a former persecutor of Christians, just to name a few. And yet, despite all their sins and flaws, God used these men for the benefit of his people. But does God also put into place leaders in the modern day political realm? Now, the media went a little crazy over this issue not too long ago when President Trump's former Energy Secretary, Rick Perry, said the president is here at this chosen time because God ordained it. Yet a fair number of Americans polled on this issue also agreed with that statement. And we have scripture telling us in verses like Daniel 2.21, it is God who changes the times and the epochs. He removes kings and establishes kings. So how should we understand God's plans in the political realm? We're going to talk about it today with Wallace Henley, former White House aide, award-winning journalist and author of more than 20 books, including his latest called Two Men from Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar Trump and the Lord of History. Wallace, so great to welcome you back. How are you doing? Janet, it's wonderful to talk to you and your audience again. Thank you. Thank you for being here. Well, there are a lot of people who I know got really, really upset at this idea that God might have something to do with Donald Trump's election. What are your thoughts on that entire, you know, controversy, as it were, with people saying, how dare you insinuate that God had anything to do with the 2016 election? My response is that I believe the Bible quite uh, absolutely, and you quoted from Daniel 2 earlier, uh, that it's God who raises up and puts down the leaders in their ages, in their times. And all leadership, including Barack Obama, or if it had been Hillary Clinton, either are in power by the permissive will of God or the intentional will of God. Everything is pegged to the manifestation of God's kingdom in this world, the coming of his kingdom. Jesus says in Matthew 24, 14, this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed in all of the world as a witness to all the people groups, all the nations, and then the end, the telos, the purpose of all things will come. So every nation is crucial. Every nation is in the plan of God, and God uses the leadership in those nations as he wills for the advance of his kingdom. Right. And what's interesting, people who don't really understand the Bible, have never read the Bible, don't understand the arc of history that's written about throughout the Bible. We saw that with the Old Testament kings. I mean, here you're talking about Nebuchadnezzar, and I want to get into that in a little bit more detail. But we had evil kings in the Old Testament, and there were good kings in the Old Testament, but God used all of them for his sovereign purposes. That's really what the Christian is talking about when we talk about, as you say, God ordaining somebody to be in office. But you're right that we get all leaders. It isn't just Trump necessarily individually, but all leaders that are in power, God sovereignly reigns over that process, right? That's exactly right. I worked for Richard Nixon, 
And I believe that God put Richard Nixon in office either by his permissive or intentional will. And many things happened that were very significant spiritually uh, during that time that I watched unfold from my position within the White House. And this only confirmed my, my absolute conviction that everything is tied to the purposes and the plans for God's kingdom, proclamation and manifestation. Right. So now when we're talking about Donald Trump and you make this distinction between God's permissive will or his intentional will, can you delineate between those two wills to decipher whether or not it was a permissive will of God or an intentional uh, will of God that Trump got elected in 2016? We don't know the whole story yet. I would have to say, though, that there there are some significant numbers that uh, point in certain directions for me. One of those numbers is 60 million. The number of babies killed in abortion clinics since Roe v. Wade that Trump is now standing up against. Yes. And another is 80 percent. Eighty percent of the world population lives in places where there is religious oppression. There is no religious freedom. Trump has stood up, made an executive order, and said we're going to uh, take action to stop this so that there will be religious freedom. Those two things alone suggest to me that God intentionally has given this man as our leader at this point in time. Right. And Israel as well. That would be another important component, I would think, for this us to... This would be a very important component, moving the, moving the capital to Jerusalem, uh, the recognition, of course, the continuing recognition um, of Israel's right to exist as a state. Yes. Now, some people have talked about Trump in the sense of being like the King King Darius or somebody like that or Cyrus. Do you have a particular Old Testament corollary that you would use to describe Trump besides Nebuchadnezzar? Or how do you evaluate Trump in light of some of the kings God has raised up in, in history? Yes. And I understand those who say that Trump is probably more like Cyrus or Cyrus like Trump because it was Cyrus who released the Jews to go back to Israel and build the temple and so forth. And Trump has certainly taken actions, as you just pointed out, very favorable to Israel. But I I look at Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, Functionally, yes, Trump was very much probably like, um, like Cyrus. But in terms of character, and in terms of background, and in terms of the persona, uh, there's much similarity with Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, in, in fact, I talk about the two Babylons, and I, Babylon now, in our time, is the symbol of the world system organized in defiance of God and without God, or attempting to do its uh, organization that way anyway. And Trump comes from New York, right at the center of all that, just as Nebuchadnezzar came from Babylon. Right. But Nebuchadnezzar, arrogant, uh, offensive in so many ways. That's Donald Trump in character, arrogant, offensive, although he's learned a lot, he's been humbled a lot. And yet both of these men or this, both of these men come to a point where they declare that the God of Daniel is the God of the world. He is the true God. I believe Donald Trump has moved that way through his time in the White House, just as Nebuchadnezzar did. Well, that's such an interesting point to bring up, because here was Nebuchadnezzar saying, you know, all these kingdoms around me were built for my glory. And then God you know, put him down on all fours eating grass. We remember that section of scripture until he looked up and his, his sanity was restored. And people do make criticisms of President Trump and say he's so narcissistic. He's always bragging about himself and what he's doing for America. But at the same time, there's a lot of forgiveness that people have because they say he wants the right things. How do you evaluate that issue? Well, I look at where he came from. 
his father was a tremendous supporter of Norman Vincent Peale, who preached back in the 1950s and even earlier than that, um, what uh, sort of an even high Protestant version of the name it, claim it. Yes. Uh, don't, whatever you do, don't confess anything bad, confess positive things. And so he was taught all through his life, all through his growing up, Trump was, to make positive statements and to never say anything negative. And that would include about himself, hmm. um, which is why he said at one point early on, I've never had any need to ask for repentance. Right. Uh, that would be confessing something negative. And so that is, that is just woven into his fabric. And he has a hard time humbling himself, but God can take care of that. Oh, absolutely. That's, you know, and that's an interesting point I hadn't really considered because it is the point. You know, his family was greatly influenced by Norman Vincent Peale. And that positive confession aspect of Peale's theology may well play a part in why he says what he says and, and wants to, you know, exert this powerful image to people. I'll take care of it. I'll be strong and these sorts of things. Do you see Nebuchadnezzar and Trump as being different in any significant way? Well, Nebuchadnezzar began uh, as, as a true infidel. He was an enemy of God. He, he did not want the things of God, and he resisted the people of God. He tried to inculcate uh, the Babylonian worldview into Daniel and his friends. And, of course, famously, they stood up and said no. Whereas Trump has, this, has a, a, the positive that comes out of his Norman Vincent Peale era is that God is active and that God is working. So he has that openness that Nebuchadnezzar would not have had. Trump, I don't think, is going to have to spend seven years in the wilderness before he comes to God. (laughs) I think he's open already. Well, I hope and pray that he is, because I think that's what every Christian wants to see, Trump coming to the Lord fully and understanding you know, salvation through Jesus Christ. And I think there are a lot of people who are trying to witness to him and have been witnessing to him for the last several years. But we'll come back to the discussion. Two men from Babylon, Wallace Henley with us, and we'll come back on Janet Meffer today after this. Did you know that over 18 million babies have been aborted worldwide since January 1st? Every single one of these babies died during the COVID-19 pandemic. Why isn't the world declaring these babies as lost? Here's Dan Steiner, the president of Preborn, a ministry dedicated to saving babies' lives from abortion through ultrasound. I sense God's broken heart over the issue of abortion. You see, he sees every little baby that's being formed in the mother's womb, and it breaks his heart to see when the lifetime that he has planned for them is taken from them violently so often. Preborn is the largest provider of free ultrasounds in the United States and the direct competition to Planned Parenthood. Would you help show that these babies' lives are not forgotten? Preborn is there for women in crisis who want to make the right choice, but society tells them that a preborn baby is not a human life. I was afraid. I was scared. I didn't know what to do. Everybody wanted me to have an abortion. Preborn shines light into a mother's womb, introducing her to the beautiful life growing inside of her. When I heard her heartbeat, I decided to keep her. And now my daughter's about to be three. I don't know where my life would be without her. That ultrasound changed everything for me. It really did. That made it all worthwhile to know that I was going to have a little blessing. 
the cost of one ultrasound is just $28, or five ultrasounds cost $140. To donate, just call 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-2229. Or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. I'm going to keep my baby, and I'm going to be a great mom. Every baby's life is important. Would you please join with Janet Meffer today and Preborn in the Cause for Life? All gifts are tax deductible. And when you donate, you'll receive an ultrasound picture, along with stories of other babies' lives that were spared. Call now, 855-402-BABY, 855-402-2229, or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. Thanks for joining us. Wallace Henley is joining us as well. Wonderful to have him here. He's a former White House aide, award-winning journalist and author of the book we're discussing called Two Men from Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, Trump, and the Lord of History, which brings us to the point in history we are now facing as a nation, Wallace, and I'm sure you agree on many points that I've had going through my mind about the points we are at as Americans that we never thought we would ever see in our lifetimes, this fight against socialism and rioting in the streets and some very nefarious, you know, propositions that have been made by various political figures. We're going through a lot right now. What do you see as Trump's role in history at the moment? And I know we can't really know everything completely in the moment. It's, you know, the advantage of history that allows us to look back and see things more clearly. But what are your observations about Trump's role at this moment in history? Well, I'm reminded of what um, the invitation that was given to John the Apostle in Revelation 4.1 where the messenger of God, the voice of God, says, come up here, and I will show you uh, these things. Mm. So God is, God is inviting us to come up here uh, from the perspective of heaven and look down on history from the perspective of heaven. And that's the only way we can understand Trump, is by taking that perspective. And that perspective is that we are living one of, through one of the significant transitional periods that happens in all nations at, in some way, in terms of their walk spiritually, yes, it was especially carried out with uh, Israel uh, in the in the time of the Old Testament, and that that series of of stages is first ratification, the idea among all of the consensus establishments and the people that God is God, God is the Lord of this nation, and we're going to follow Him, and then comes a relapse of memory when people forget that when a generation rises up that does not know Joshua. And they forget that. That brings, uh, following uh, the relapse of memory of God, then comes rebellion, when people openly and, and defiantly rebel against God. And then comes the refiner's fire, when God allows the consequence to come on the nation. And then comes remembrance, when there is a remnant within the culture that begins to ask, what have we left? What did we lose behind us? And that remnant leads to a time of repentance and then revival, restoration, and once again, ratification, and that just keeps going. I believe that Trump has arisen in a time in a very interesting way. For one thing, uh, his coarseness is characteristic of the culture in which we live. So in that sense, God's permissive will is at work. I'm going to let someone who is coarse and offensive in many ways rise up to show you what you look like. Mm. But at the same time, uh, he is open to God. He wants the leadership of God. This has been expressed uh, between the lines, if you will, many times. And so he has this openness to God. 
And I think that that's what helps us come to this time of remembrance of how much we need God, that, that, that not even Donald Trump can save us, but that we need God urgently. And I think that will contribute, his role will contribute to that significantly. Very interesting. I, I think it's also something worthy of discussing, and that is this, the fact that Trump is solidly on the side of Christians. And, and you look at different periods of history throughout the Bible, and, and it means something to the Lord, those who will stand with his people. Can you comment on that, how you see that, both from a political standpoint and from a spiritual standpoint? Absolutely. I, th- I think one of the things that happened to Donald Trump somewhere along the way, obviously we know his past history, and we know about his womanizing and all the other things he's been accused of, but somewhere along the way, Brokenness has to come in. All of us have a zone of excellence, and that zone of excellence is defined by our our identity in terms of the Lord Jesus Christ, our spiritual gifts, our natural talents and skills, and the things that have been woven into us, the lessons we've learned through suffering. So Donald Trump, even despite positive thinking and everything else, would say that he went through that he has gone through a time of brokenness. He, he did this some time back. Uh, he talked about the brokenness and, and so forth that he came through. This is what contributes now to the shaping of this character, which still has a lot of confidence, and we need that. We need confident leadership. Yeah. He still has that kind of confidence, but now this openness, and, and James Robinson has helped him to see this. Yeah. Uh, his openness to God and the grace of God and the mercy of God in every situation. Very good. What about the spiritual assault that comes upon the president, Uh, not just Donald Trump, but other presidents as well, because you have a chapter on power and the clustering of demons. Clearly, there is a spiritual aspect to what is happening in the United States right now. We, We have fallen greatly in many, many ways. But when you look at the biblical foundations of this country, it's undeniable why you would make the case that the devil would love nothing more than for the United States to fall into communism. What are your thoughts along those lines? Well, first of all, the fundamental temptation is power. This is what Lucifer tempted Eve and Adam with in the garden. Yes. Does God really have power over your lives? You take the power over your life and eat this forbidden fruit. There will always be a clustering of demons at places of great power. Hmm. The demonic operates only on the ground, Ephesians 4, only on the ground that we give them within this world. They are not at liberty to do anything they want to. They have to have ground on which to operate. Power is fundamental in giving that ground. And I've been in the Oval Office at times when uh, there was just this um, sense there that, that, was, that was disturbing in some, in some ways. I've seen people uh, enter the Oval Office like they were going into the Holy of Holies, like it was some kind of uh, sacramental place. And one of the one of the leading religious leaders of another generation, who was frequently in the White House, uh, told me one time in a in a private conversation that he later made public. He said, "Wallace, every time I go in the White House, I feel this dark presence, this darkness there." And I was feeling that as a young man working in that arena, because there will always be the clustering of the demonic. We've got to pray for the president and 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 spiritual leadership around the president. Uh, needs to be conscious of this to help encourage him. 
uh, to walk in light and not and not give ground to darkness. Yes. And that would be true for every president. Yeah, for sure. But these are such unprecedented times. I mean, you even look back to what Reagan went through during the time of the Cold War and standing up against communism and, and you know, the alliance that came together with the Pope and Margaret Thatcher and the fall of the Berlin Wall, such a significant period in history. But these are unprecedented times. We did not have cities burning under Reagan and you had politics, you know, you didn't have these politicians who were unwilling to deal with the violence in the streets and these sorts of things. Now we have this cabal of politicians who are backing up the violence and the anarchy in the streets. What are your thoughts on how the Lord could use the president in the coming days to deal with all of this? Because for a lot of people, it's just, it seems like everything has become unmoored. Exactly. And it's very important for the president not to lose his mind. And so right. <laughs> he, he needs to come before us with, with great steadiness and assurance and confidence no matter what happens. This is why I don't like some of his tweaks. I wish he would get off the tweak thing, yeah. uh, because sometimes they're pretty chaotic. Yes. But I, 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 I'm sure you, you'll remember, you're not old enough to, be, to have been there, but when we came into the White House in 1969, I say we, the Nixon administration, when we, when we came into the White House in 69, Washington was burning two blocks from the White House. Yeah. Because remember, Martin Luther King had been assassinated in 68, and all of these riots had, had uh, begun to unfold across the country. And that contributed to the paranoia that would later produce the Watergate scandal and bring down the president. Yes. Um, yes. Because people were asking, we've got, what's happening? What are they doing to us? Are they going to bring down the country? So President Trump needs to be a point of tremendous stability in the Lord. He needs to be a Solomon type right now, Solomon at his best. Um, right now, speaking wisdom, not speaking flippantly, but speaking wisdom and speaking strength into the nation. And I think he's significantly qualified to do that. Well, I think that is really important. Absolutely. Somebody has to have his head on straight and everything kind right. of under control. Absolutely. Which is really what you're saying. We really need to pray for the president and pray for the spiritual support that he has around him as well. One other thing I wanted to touch on, Wallace, before we run out of time, Matthew twenty four fourteen is another verse that you focus on in your book. The gospel of the kingdom shall be preached to the whole world as a testimony to all the nations. And then the end will come, the Lord says. What do you see about that verse that is vital to this question? of Trump's role in human history? I believe that the, that the United States of America was seen in the providential plan of God to be a place where there would be unusual freedoms so that the church would have the freedom to proclaim the gospel of the kingdom, Amen. unusual prosperity and security, so the church would have the physical, material means to, be, to initiate a great movement of global missions that would take the gospel of the kingdom to the world. I believe that's why we've been blessed. Yes. And if the church turns inward and forgets mission and forgets the purpose of her being, then the whole nation will suffer. True. Therefore, the health of a nation is in proportion to the health of the church in the nation. That is such a good insight. I couldn't agree more with you. And it makes me all the more sad to see in so, so many respects a lot of ill, you know, ill residue, if I want to put it that way, uh, throughout the church. We see a lot of fallen leaders. We see a lot of chaos. We see a lot of liberalism and wokeness coming into the church now. This is really a time to go back and pray to the Lord for revival among his people. I mean, it couldn't be more urgent. 
it is extremely urgent, and what we're seeing in terms of leaders being exposed and so forth is God is allowing that which was done in darkness to be shouted from the housetops. Yep. But it's all always for the purpose of purification, that God would purify us and that we would be humbled. And only the humble are those that God can work with. And he has to bring us to that place, may have to bring Donald Trump to that place again. Well, that's right. Well, such important thoughts on this hour right now, Wallace, and it's such a great book. It's called Two Men from Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, Trump, and the Lord of History, again by Wallace Henley, who's been kind enough to join us again. And Wallace, so good to talk to you. Thank you very, very much for being with us. My joy. Thank you. All right. God bless you. We'll be back on Janet Mefford today. This archived broadcast of Janet Mefford Today is brought to you by Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit healthcare sharing ministry that allows you to control and manage your own healthcare and choose any doctor or hospital in the nation. If you're a freedom-loving American looking for contract-free healthcare, call now, 855-585-4237, or go to libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT for more information, libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. This is Janet Mefford. For today. And now, here's your host, Janet Mefford. Well, we have not done an update, recently at least, on churches in California who are still trying to get their doors open or are facing ramifications for opening their doors in obedience to the Lord and in defiance of some of these local governmental authorities. Here's an update. You know, Pastor Rob McCoy has been on the hot seat. He's with Godspeak Calvary Chapel. He was held in contempt. We've covered that story for quite a while. And now the church has been fined $3,000. It was $500 per three services over the last two Sundays. So they're facing a $3,000 fine. And now there is another church, North Valley Baptist Church. This one is in Santa Clara County. And they are facing $10,000 in fines for having church services. $10,000. Think about this for a minute. How low do you have to go on just an ethical level to fine a church for anything? I mean, I understand that you have to have basic interaction with the government as a church for zoning and parking and things like that. I mean, I get that. But to go after a church, how low do you have to go when you start finding churches for coming together and worshiping after a pandemic that's been going on for six months and now you hardly have any cases in Santa Clara County, hardly any deaths, hardly any deaths. At what point do we have to say, where are we here? Like at at some point, are you going to let us go Are you going to let us operate like everybody else? Are we just going to stay down until November 4th or 5th? You know, I I don't blame these people in California. And I'm saying this from the perspective of somebody who's been going to church since April, since April. There was no church for several weeks in March. Nobody was having any church and started. We started going back in April. We've been going ever since. We're not even wearing masks. 
So you have to ask the question. We even here in Texas have had, as you know, this surge in cases for a time, and then it's going down again now, and hospitalizations are going way down, and ICU and all the rest going way down. But I'm saying to myself, we're all living in the same country. We see these statistics coming out of Sweden, which never locked everybody down. And you're seeing these statistics on the fact that when you get to about 20% of the populace that has antibodies, it kind of levels off. That They're finding that all over the place when they're doing all these different studies on cases and so forth having to do with the coronavirus. It even happened on that cruise ship. You remember early on there was that cruise ship and, oh, everybody was exposed and only you know, somewhere around 20% of them ever got it. So anyway, I, I thought it was very interesting to listen to the video statement from Jack Treber. He is the pastor of North Valley Baptist Church talking about this cease and desist letter that the church received and the $10,000 in fines that Santa Clara County is levying against them just for coming together and worshiping God. And I thought it would be worthwhile for you to hear some of his comments because I think when you hear the ongoing story of what they've gone through over these last several months, it's harder and harder to believe the media narrative that these people are just scofflaws who couldn't care less about people being sick and couldn't care less about the government. Not true at all. Here first is a little history from Pastor Treber on what has happened concerning North Valley Baptist Church since the beginning of the pandemic. Listen to cut one. 24 weeks ago, we were instructed to completely shut down. And we did that. We heard this thing that we've not heard before, COVID-19. And it entered into our society and we wanted to err on the side of safety. So we, we shut down everything. And uh, we closed down as we were instructed. It said two weeks. We closed our Christian school, K-4 through 12th grade. Uh, we closed our college that's training young men and women for the glory of God come here from all over the country and outside of the United States. Now, they also listed a number of other ministries that the church has, the pastor did, saying all of the things they've shut down, I guess, over the years, they have bust in over a million kids. And, and you know, I, they really have a very thriving ministry at this church and they shut everything down. And this is along the lines of all of us. All of us shut our churches down, except maybe Rodney Howard Brown. But aside from him, pretty much for the first several weeks after the pandemic was declared, we all went along with it. And the reason we all went along with it was because we didn't want anybody to die. And at the time, everybody said, oh, it could be millions and the hospitals would be overwhelmed and nobody wanted that. So we all went along with it. And at a certain point, at varying points, certain Christians said, hey, wait a minute. If the abortion clinics can be open and the liquor stores can be open and wait a minute, how come there are all those leftist rioters in the streets? How come they're not in trouble? Then the jig was up. Then we recognized and realized that on some level, especially in some of these extremely blue states, we were being had. Now here, Pastor Treber explains how the church began to change its mind about this idea of a total shutdown. This is cut two. We have tried to obey authority. After 11 weeks of that, we have uh, still continued 24 weeks, keep it all closed. But after 11 weeks, we went back into the auditorium temporarily. I was preaching to this empty auditorium every week, every Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, other times. And we did that because we wanted to err on the side of safety. Now we have come to the point where this is not a hot spot. 
We were told that thousands were gonna die. There's 2.1 million people in our valley. I didn't wanna be responsible for seeing people die because of this disease, and it is a real disease, a virus, it's very real. We understand that. But because it was gonna be a hot spot, we obeyed to the letter. But now all of a sudden we have found out that there are not 5,000 or 2,500 people that have died in our area of 2.1 million. We've not had 1,000 people perish, or 900, or 800, or 700, or 500. We've not had 400 people perish. We've not had 300 people perish. And by the way, one life, we know that, is valuable. We've had to this date 224 people pass away. 90 plus of those were in rest homes. Yes, and he emphasizes how terrible that was because so many who are in these rest homes died alone. And and that's terrible. That's terrible. So according to his timeline here, they were shut down for about 11 weeks. So when I'm going back in time, I don't know exactly when California started the shutdown, but around here it was mid-March. So that would put him around June. They shut down for roughly three months and then they started to open up again and they were trying to be very careful. Now he goes on to explain what the county just did. This is cut three. We have done everything possible. We have posted our protocol to come back in here. But yesterday, the county came in. They posted on our doors on Friday that we have to cease and desist. Those words are horrifying to me. That someone could post that a church in America has to cease. I know our mayor has, I believe, tried to be nice to us. And uh, her office has suggested that we just obey and maybe you have a First Amendment right. Well, absolutely we have a First Amendment right. You, you can't make laws against the church. We have the right to worship. But more than the right from the Constitution, we have a command from God. That's the point, isn't it? That's the point. The other point is something that we've discussed before, and that is that Gavin Newsom, the governor of California, Sure has extended powers, six months of an emergency order. Uh, under my understanding of what an emergency is, it's an extremely short-term situation that arises quickly and has to be dealt with quickly. But when things return to more of a normal situation, then you will return the power as it belongs, rightly belongs, to your California State Assembly, your legislature, your legislative body. That's where the laws are to be made. How in the world do you excuse something as being an emergency six months in? Well, as we were discussing with Rob McCoy's lawyer not too long ago, Newsom is punting. or The legislature really is punting to him, I should say. They want him to take the heat so they don't have to take the heat and actually weigh in on all of this situation and have to make the tough decisions that would expose them perhaps to irate leftist voters. Because we know how it goes in California. And it's a disgrace it is a disgrace. I can't think of anything much lower than going after churches and trying to take money from them because all they want to do is have a worship service where they're trying to socially distance and be careful. What's it to you, Gavin Newsom? We're going to come back. Stay with us. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. Are you in need of a healthcare program? You're in luck. 
As a member of Liberty HealthShare, you're part of a community that comes together to share their medical expenses. You can sign up throughout the year with memberships starting as early as the following month, and there are no contracts or commitments. Programs start as low as $349 per month, and there's no network, so you can choose your own doctors and hospitals. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit ministry, not insurance, so your money goes toward helping other members with their eligible medical expenses. And in your time of need, other members are there for you, too. You can feel good knowing you're part of a community of like-minded individuals who understand the importance of people coming together to bear one another's burdens. Find out more at libertyhealthshare.org slash jmt. That's libertyhealthshare.org slash jmt. Or call now, 855-565-2561. 855-565-2561. What happens when an abortion-minded woman sees her baby's heartbeat for the first time? Here's how a nurse describes the power of ultrasound. When she saw the picture of her baby on ultrasound and saw that beating heart, it was a defining moment that just broke her and... She said, I just can't allow this baby to be killed. By letting a mother hear her baby's heartbeat and see her baby in her womb, she'll choose life 80% of the time. Then we were able to share the gospel. Sometimes we were able to give out a Bible if they're open and just minister to her the scientific truth and God's love. I cannot tell you how many times a baby's life is saved through ultrasound. just an incredible tool. Preborn is the largest provider of free ultrasounds in the country. One ultrasound is just $28, or five ultrasounds are $140. Would you join Preborn in the cause for life? Call now, 855-402-BABY, 855-402-2229. You're listening to Janet Mefford today, and now, here's Janet. Welcome back. Well, the situation continues for a number of churches in California who all they want to do is come together as an assembly of believers and worship God in spirit and in truth as commanded by Scripture. And apparently this emergency, which amounts to a couple hundred deaths in a county, Santa Clara County, of about over a million people, that's a, just an incredible emergency no churches can meet. But the abortionists, you guys just continue. Enjoy your freedom. Rioters, you go enact your racial justice agenda, do whatever you need to do on the streets of LA. No, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. If you're in good with the leftists, then you have all the freedom you want. And if you are a Christian, you better keep your church closed. And I've been very grateful for those pastors who have said, come and get us. I mean, not in so many words, but they've said, we're going to obey God rather than men. And you should. You should. These churches that are still closed down, if you look at the data, how in the world... How in the world can you as an American citizen, we the people run this country, remember that? They're not our kings. They're not our dictators. We don't live in a monarchy. You have the right as an American citizen to look at the data, understand the political wins, and recognize that you're being had. And I've said this from the beginning. If you had thousands of churches in California all standing in solidarity and all saying, we've been shut down long enough, Governor Newsom, let your people go. We're done with this situation. And we're all opening our doors in solidarity with the first brave men who did this early on. We're all going to stand with them because we all are brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. And ultimately, we're going to stand up for the freedom that we are given in the First Amendment. And if all of them would do that, they couldn't go after little churches like North Valley Baptist Church or Godspeak Calvary Chapel. 
What are they going to do? Fine every single church? That's pretty bad when it comes down to what the headlines would look like, even if you're a leftist tyrant like Gavin Newsom. Well, let's go back to some of this audio from Pastor Jack Treber. He's the pastor of North Valley Baptist Church. And they were just given a $10,000 fine order from Santa Clara County for holding church services. And uh, Pastor Treber put out a video statement on this. I want to pick up where we left off. He was talking about receiving this cease and desist order. And then he talks a little bit about his thoughts. This is cut four. In the edict that came to us, we have tried to obey what's been written, the protocol. One of the things that's amazing we were cited yesterday for was that we're not permitted to sing. So yesterday morning, a fine of $5,000 and Sunday night, a fine of $5,000 and they're ratcheting everything up. This is America. To to think that a, a person can say, you cannot sing at church. You cannot preach without a mask on. You cannot communicate with people. We tell our people they come in here, they do not congregate, we are social distancing. Every other row is empty, six feet this way, six feet this way, six feet this way. We have them come in with masks. Many continue to wear their masks during church, but we're not allowed in our building. Now they said, Pastor, you can meet with 60 people outside. Well, we're under fires. I said to our authorities, on Saturdays, I spoke, do you realize the air quality, little children and elderly? We, we can. They said, well, you can't, you, you should not probably meet this week. I can meet with 50, 60 people outside, but we can't sing. This is way out of bounds. The fines are out of bounds. Right, exactly. That's the point. And listen to this. Listen to this. The fact that California is saying you can have a church service outside. Oh, terrific. Right down the road from the wildfires. <laughs> yeah, that's wonderful. Let's just bring 60 people outside. Yeah, these people are not reasonable. They're not working with these churches. They don't see the church's point of view. They just want to be tyrants. They're tyrants. They're tyrants. Go back and read the Declaration of Independence. Get a little bit more American in you, Christians. A little bit more American because the original Americans, the pilgrims who came over here on the Mayflower, they would understand this issue. But somehow, all these many years later, modern day Christians, well, I better wear my mask. Look, I wear a mask when I go out because we're supposed to do it and it's no skin off my nose, but I know darn well that that mask isn't doing anything to keep me from getting COVID-19 because I'm reading the studies and I'm reading the experts and I'm interviewing the epidemiologists. It's not necessary. It's not necessary, but it's no skin off my nose to go along with that. It is skin off my nose for you to tell me as a Christian that I can't go to church. You're not in charge of the church, state. Remember how much you love the separation of church and state whenever it involves things like prayer and schools? How about we invoke it the other way? And we're completely within our rights to do that. Let's go back to the pastor. Another clip here sharing his thoughts on this whole situation. This is Cut 5. We've never been bad people in this city. Every mayor that I know has always spoken complimentary of this church. We love the police and they love us. I have a letter on my desk from the chief of police how great this church in the last two weeks have been to this area. We love the police, we love authority, our people work, we pay taxes, we're good neighbors. We're we're trying to do everything possible. We're trying to help poor people, we're trying to help the needy, we're trying to help the people that are sick. So we have a situation here where the county health director said, now I'm in charge of the health and God bless you. You're not elected, but God bless you, I appreciate you but I'm in charge of the spiritual health 
of the people of this city in this area. And I've been trying to do it for 45 years. And though the health is very important of utmost importance, spiritual health is supreme. He's right. He's absolutely right. And this is a point that a lot of these pastors have been making, and it is a solid point. What about the people who are in dire straits because they have been locked down for so long and they've been losing their jobs and losing their businesses? One more cut from the pastor. This is Cut Six. And because we've been locked out in this county of churches, suicide is up, domestic violence is up, drug addiction is up, homelessness is up. Alcoholism is up. We need to get back to worshiping God. I am commanded to worship God. So yesterday, Acts 4 and 5, we heard their threatenings. They said, we command you not to teach or preach in this name. Here they said, we command you not to sing or speak inside a building. Look, I'll go outside. The building's not the issue. It's telling the church what they could do. And then it'd say, okay, you can go outside, but you can have only 60 people. What are we going to do with the thousands of people that are coming? I'm not trying to be harsh. I'm not trying to be a smart aleck. I'm not trying to be cruel. I want to obey authority, but authority you overstepped. And I plead with you, back off. Open up the spiritual environment of this valley immediately, because we're going to see chaos. I'm not threatening that we're going to create chaos. If you arrested me yesterday, I would go, I'd go on, I instructed my people, no revolt. I mean, can you believe this is the United States of America? But we're now in waters where pastors have to say things like this. Well, if they fine us, well, if they try to shut us down, well, if they come and arrest me, don't revolt. What are we, China? We get the China virus and we get the communism packed into the virus at the same time. It's a two for one package. This is insane. Well, I'll tell you what really bothers me about this is how few Christians in California are standing up against this insanity. If this man is arrested, I would hope that thousands of Christians would revolt because they should revolt peacefully, respectfully. But you talk about protesters in the streets. There should be protesters in the streets over this issue. Where are they? Where are they? It goes back to the same old line about I didn't speak up. They came after the Jews and I didn't speak up because I wasn't a Jew. And it goes through the whole list. And then when they finally came for me, there was no one to stand up anymore. I firmly believe in that principle. Why wouldn't you stand up for a pastor who wants to have church? I don't know. All I can say is it's probably as indicative of the quality of the health of the church right now, which isn't really at the highest point it's ever been. But, you know, he referenced... Acts 4 and 5, those are two great chapters in the book of Acts that are worth rereading. And you'll recall, I don't have time to get into all of it, but you'll recall this was when the apostles were brought in front of the rulers and elders and scribes, and they were saying, by what power, by what name did you do this? And that was heal the lame man in the name of Jesus. And Peter said, rulers of the people and elders, if we're being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to you and all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. And you know how that went over. They ended up warning them not to speak any more in the name of Jesus. And you remember what happened? They said, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. They were let go. They went back to the church and they prayed, what? For boldness. 
And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. That's what Christians do. That's what Christians do. You comply with the government insofar as you need to, but there comes a point where you have to obey God rather than men. And I believe we're at that point. Please pray for this pastor and his church and all the other pastors in California and elsewhere who are really trying to just obey the Lord in this, that they would continue to be filled with the word of God and have the great boldness that the apostles had during those key days of kicking off the early church. We need men like this. Thank you for joining us. We'll see you next time on Janet Meffer Today.